0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today.
1: Good morning. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. Pick up where we left off last week. Continuation, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to work our way through verses 6 through 9 primarily today, but we're going to read from verse 1, we'll read through verse 9. i just read that to start. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, If ye, be then, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, do we thank you for this time that we can look in your word, and I pray that you would just speak to us from your word this morning, Lord, that we would receive from you that which we need, Lord, that you would... Help me to present the word as you would have it presented, Lord, that it would be only of you and not of me, Lord, and that you would be glorified in all that is said and done this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Just by way of a short review, just to kind of give us the groundwork for where we've been um, last week and then moving on into this week. Last week we talked about the primary goal, as as stated here in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. In order for us to truly walk the Christian life as we should, we need to have our affection set on the things above. And primarily it says where Christ sits on the right hand of the throne of God. Right hand of God. This is where our affections need to be placed. Our affection needs to be in heaven, not on this earth. We discussed that our minds should be like-minded with the Lord. That's setting our affection, having our minds directly in tune with the mind of the Lord in order to have our affections properly focused on heavenly exercises, not on our earthly activities and the things of this world that can draw us away. We also talked about how if we truly set our affections on those things that God desires us to, we need to become mortified or mortify those things that are these fleshly elements that we have been saved from. Our old man has been crucified with Christ. We're dead to these things, but why should we still partake in them? We need to mortify our members daily, not just one time. We need to be killing these works of the flesh daily, dying to these sins that so easily beset us. And that we see running rampant in our world today, we need to become mortified or dead to these. And in Colossians chapter 3, it spells out these things. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection or sodomy, evil concupiscence, that reprobation that we see taking place in our land, covetousness. All these things, as it spells out here in verse 6, it says, or in verse 5, which is idolatry. It ends that, that verse, which is idolatry. And I don't believe it specifically was talking about the covetousness. It was referencing all these things because the fornication, the uncleanness, this inordinate affection, this evil concupiscence, this covetousness, that really is worshiping ourselves as God, saying we know that we want to satisfy ourselves as God. We are taking this pleasure and we are worshiping the pleasure that these simple things brings to us rather than worshiping God in His image and how He desires to be worshiped in that holiness that He has called us to live out in our Christian life. And you can see in America today how our God really has become, as Americans, these things, these these works of the flesh, this pleasing of our flesh has become the God that we worship in America. No longer do we worship the God of the Bible. We worship whatever we say is right according to how it pleases us. And that is idolatry. Amen. It's not just outside the church, though, that we worship those things as God. Even us as Christians, we can replace the worship of God with these idols of pleasing our flesh. Amen. Maybe through these aspects that we've, we've talked about as far as the, the real open sinful acts. But as we move on into this passage, we see that there's other things that maybe we as Christians are more affected by that we kind of brush off and say, well, that's not a big deal. That's just how I am, but yet we are supposed to move on from those things as well. Now we didn't cover this in in too much detail, but in verse 6 it says, Because of these things that we have mentioned, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. The wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. Those who give themselves over to these things in complete rejection of the Lord, they're going to experience the wrath of God in their life. It would ultimately apply to the unbelieving, those who have completely rejected the Lord Jesus. But I believe as as believers, when we engage in these acts, we can experience some of the judgment of God upon our life, and we will experience it. God can't let sin go unpunished. Even in the life of the believers, we may be saved from the ultimate wrath But we're not saved from God's discipline and punishment in order to bring us in line with where he would have us to be. Especially when we set our affections on the things of this earth and not on things above. We start worshiping the things of earth as opposed to the things that are in heaven. As opposed to God sitting on his throne. We we start worshiping the things that bring us pleasure. The wrath of God will be poured out. And when the wrath of God is poured out, it's a consuming fire. It's a consuming fire on this earth, and it's going to last for some people for all eternity. They're going to spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. And we don't want to see anybody go down that route, and yet we are seeing people go down there by the millions every day following that path that leads to the wrath of God being poured out on this land. God cannot allow sin to go unpunished, especially when the knowledge of what is right is before the eyes of those who are disobedient. In Acts 17.30 it says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know, these sins that are so prevalent, pervasive, and they're really becoming the religion of our country because we've rejected God, we've rejected the worship of God, we've rejected going to church as a nation, and, and the statistics point to that. These are the things that bring destruction to those who walk in them. But we as believers, we have escaped the wrath of God by trusting Jesus as our Savior. When we put our faith in and trust in Jesus. We've escaped that eternal wrath, but we need to walk in obedience. We need to walk in obedience. It says in verse 7 in which he also walked in sometimes when you lived in them. You know, we don't have to walk in these things anymore as believers. We don't have to put on these things that are so damaging and that brings the wrath of God upon us. So why do we continue to do it? Why do we see it so prevalent in the church? It's because we go back to verse 1 and 2. We don't have our affections set on things above as we should I'm just going to quickly here read the beginning of Jonathan Edwards sermon sinners in the hands of an angry god you know in this sermon that's so prominently focused in, in the revival of the great awakening here in America he listed 10 things that were 10 considerations for the wicked men who had rejected Christ and we're just going to read the first one quickly you know as he as he began his sermon he said there's nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of god and that is true. There's not one thing that keeps us in that, in that distance between life and death, but God's pleasure. It's only because of God's pleasure that we are allowed to live. We've said, we see, you know, you know, sometimes we'll say people died in a freak accident. Was that a freak accident? No, we all could die of freak accidents at any moment. It's only because of the grace and mercy of God that keeps us from spending eternity either with Him or in hell. But the mere pleasure of God is the only thing that keeps any moment one person out of hell. By the mere pleasure of God, I mean his sovereign pleasure, his arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by no manner of difficulty, any more than if nothing else but God's mere will had, in the least degree or in any respect whatsoever, any hand in the preservation of wicked men one moment. The truth of this observation may appear by the following consideration, and this is the first consideration that he gave in this sermon. There is no want of power in God to cast wicked men into hell at any moment. Men's hands cannot be strong when God rises up. The strongest have no power to resist him, nor can any deliver out of his hands. He is not only able to cast wicked men into hell, but he can most easily do it. Sometimes an earthly prince meets with a great deal of difficulty in subduing a rebel who has found means to fortify himself, and has made himself strong by the numbers of his followers, but it is not so with God. There is no fortress that is any defense from the power of God. Though hand joined in hand and the vast multitudes of God's enemies combine and associate themselves, they are easily broken in pieces. They are as great heaps of light chaff before the whirlwind or large quantities of dry stubble before devouring flames. We find it easy to tread on and crush a worm that we see crawling on the earth. So it is easy for us to cut or singe a saner thread that anything hangs by. Thus easy is it for God when He pleases to cast His enemies down to hell? What are we that we should think to stand before Him before Him, at whose rebuke the earth trembles and before whom the rocks are thrown down? Are we so callous as believers to think that when we consider the awesomeness of God and how He looks at sin and to think that we can continue to walk in these areas that He has saved us from with no regard? for the consequences. With no regard for the life hereafter that he has called us to be working towards right now, do we not understand that he can do whatever he wills in his punishment of sin, both in this life and hereafter? You know that God in his sovereign will has allowed the situation in our country to unfold. There was no, I mean, these men that working wicked, when we know that the people in charge of our country right now, they believe in an ideology that is anti-God. It is a complete worship of man, anti-God. God is allowing that for his purposes because, as Jonathan Edwards stated so clearly, God at any moment could cast these wicked men down to hell at any time. They only hang by a thread that he allows them to hang by. And for us to get concerned about these men and think that they, you know, it's out of control, obviously we should have concern. Obviously we should be doing what we can to, to change it, to shed the light of the gospel to this world. But it's not out of the control of God. God's arm has not waxed weak just because we know how to use smartphones. Okay, God, just because we know how to look back at philosophy and come up with our own ideas, God's arm has not become weaker. He can at any moment cast the wicked down to hell. So shouldn't we be better than those who have not received this enlightened, this knowledge of the gospel shed in their lives? As we read down here in Colossians chapter 3, it says, but now ye also put off all these. Verse 8. So, we've rejected these wicked things. Now let's put off all of these as well. The things that we listed above we find, you know, are really kind of those open outward manifestations of what's taking place in our heart as we reject the Lord, as we reject the sovereignty of God in our life. But understanding that God has reserved his wrath for those things that do such things should motivate us to move on, to move forward from those things, to distance ourselves from that wickedness. But there are other things, though, that we maybe we find harder to put off because we justify them in our life, maybe. We don't, you know, some of these are, are natural to us to react. And the, that's how they list out in verse 8. The Apostle Paul lists out in verse 8. Put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. And then in verse 9, lie not one to another. All of these things that the Apostle Paul here, puts here are more on the communicable side. These things that we communicate as opposed to the things that we act out in our body. Some of these, these sins may evidence themselves by outbursts of action, such as anger and wrath and malice. They may evidence themselves, but this is really what's taking place in our hearts. And usually the first time you know about it is because we communicate it out through our, our lips. Our lips communicate these actions. These are the things that defile us as as is shown to us in the Scripture, are sometimes things that we in Christian, as Christians justify. The Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. So when we communicate these sins as listed down here in verse verses 8 and 9, this is what is coming from our heart that we have dwelled on. These are these deep-rooted areas that we have not given our affection and set our affection on the things above as we should. So if our hearts contain an abundance of good things as God desires us to have, the communication from our hearts toward others will be good. This is the way it should be. We have put off the old man. It is dead, never to be resurrected, but our flesh is still affected by the situations around us. And how many times are we affected by these situations? Daily I am affected by situations that tempt me to react in the areas that are listed here in this anger, this wrath because situations of life can frustrate us if we are not led by the Holy Spirit and so much of the time especially when we're going about our daily activities we are working on our strength and in our timeline and all these things that bring pressure on us we want to react in our flesh to make this pressure go away that's the desires of our heart coming out. These desires of our pleasure, of somebody not affecting us negatively, letting us do our own thing, we bring these out through our communication in these areas. Our mouths get us in trouble. James tells us that the tongue can no man tame. And I think if we were to have James here today, and he was to rewrite James 3a, it would be the thumbs can no man tame. Okay? The thumbs can no man tame. They are unruly evil, full of deadly poison. That's how we communicate today is with our thumbs, we also do it with our tongues. But these areas of destruction conversation, even though we may be using our our fingers to type out what we are saying, it still comes from our heart as we communicate that to others. You know, social media is a great example of how our thumbs or tongues can get us into trouble. You know, in the past few years, you know, all the really, (laughs) probably the past year, we've seen that any real good potential for social media has gone out the window. Now it's just propaganda mills. It's ugly. Social media is really ugly. It, it's tough to break yourself from it. Sometimes there's good things that you want to you scroll through. But if you look at a social media post by a public figure, or even a news article of some kind, and, and somebody makes a comment, instantly you can see all these areas, this anger, this wrath, this malice, this blasphemy, all in that thread with no no amount of looking you can see these things take place it is unbelievable and somewhat depressing the amount of deadly words we feel we can put out with our thumbs that we wouldn't ever say to somebody directly with our tongues although that is you know the world is becoming an ugly place with our communication it really is we can't hardly look at The communication that is taking place around us and realize that we all suffer from these inner communication issues because we have dwelt on them in our hearts. So let's look at these areas as laid out here as we work through this passage. Anger. Anger starts verbally, then moves into physicality. That's that lack of self-control. That's when our anger, our, our outbursts of anger come out. And we usually say something harsh. Like I said something harsh to the kids this morning because they lost the card for their mother that I gave them to sign yesterday. (laughs) And we eventually found it under the bed, but there was tears because of how I reacted. That's not good. That's our first reaction that comes from our heart when we have not given over our right to have our kids lose the card we gave them. No, not really. But that's how we react, right? That's our first reaction is usually anger rather than understanding what might be going on in the person's life across from us that we are all of a sudden focused with our anger. Wrath that boiling up to explosion of our anger almost like a pressure cooker result. A Few years ago at our shop we had this air compressor that was faulty so shut up the shop go home for the weekend and it continued to build up pressure until it blew And it blew a hole in a solid block wall that happened to have all Josh Russell's packaging material on the other side. (laughs) And that stuff didn't last very long. The flame overtook it. And we had a big mess that we worked through. But you know, that's the way our wrath is like. When we have that anger, we allow it to build up. Eventually it becomes wrath. And when our wrath takes place, because our wrath isn't just wrath like the wrath of God is. Isn't it equitous wrath like the wrath of God is? God does everything right. We do not do everything right. And so when our wrath goes out, it destroys things. Okay, it's like a consuming fire. It's like Sherman marching to Georgia, marching through Georgia to Atlanta, down down to the coast. I mean, that's what took place. Utter wrath. That's how our wrath is. It destroys things. We cannot allow that to take root in our hearts and manifests itself to others, because that is damaging. But these are the things that we sometimes justify, as I've probably justified my anger this morning. We justify these things, but yet the Apostle Paul here is telling us that if we have risen with Christ and we've set our our affections on things above, we should move on from these areas as well. Malice. This is holding an ill will towards someone or something, in the desire to cause harm without regard for law or the consequences. You know, we can easily hold malice to these officials that we have in our government because of the things that they are doing that's bringing pain into our lives and are anti-God. If we don't have the right reaction, we can have this malice that will build up. You know, this is on display, we would also say, at all these protests we see around our country. It is the malice that people have towards law in general that we would see on display. Abraham Lincoln, in the ending of his second inaugural address, said, "...with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who has so well borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations." See, that was a great leader responding to a bad situation where there could have been animosity between both sides, between the north and the south. And l- unfortunately, he didn't live very much longer after that to see his vision come to pass and the reunification of the nation. But we can see in contrast to our current situation in our nation where somebody talks about unity and yet their whole speech is division. Okay? And we see that in these protests. There's nothing about these protests that brings d- uh, unity. It only brings division. We can't allow ourselves to be engaged in that malice as well. We need to strive to have unity, but it has to be unity as we do what's right, as God shows us what is right. Not according to as we see or we feel is the right thing to do. Filthy communication. That dirty, obscene speech in the context of the verse is probably not referring to the dirty jokes that we often tell, but this is what we say to others to demean them to show some level of superiority in our own lives. And isn't that easy for us to do? that in order to show how superior we are to someone else we engage in obscene talk that would demean them. This could be you know, the typical type of communication calling somebody you know, garbage or waste, but it also is this communication that we see most prevalent in our society now. This type of filthy communication would be called to somebody a racist or a xenophobe, or to say that they're a hater. That's the filthy communication where we are trying to show ourselves as being superior to these people. That's so easy for us to do because we want we don't want to be put down by others right we don't like others to put us down so we find a way to justify our superiority and this is sometimes the name calling the hating that we we put to others to justify and make ourselves seem superior and then lying stating something that is not true to make someone or something appear better than they actually are or to deceive someone to get them to do something they would not normally do we find that prevalent in our own lives I'm sure to some extent Whether we try to avoid it or not, we all tell some sort of what we would consider white lies, but they're not white lies. Lying is something we need to focus on getting out of our life. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds. We have put off the old man. We don't need to lie, even if we don't want the consequences from telling the truth. We are supposed to tell the truth, no matter what. Why do we engage in this conversation? The first reason is it's a natural part of our flesh, to protect ourselves, the fleshly elements that we have, especially when we react in anger. Our natural reaction is to defend ourselves. Think of the example of our Lord Jesus. It says in 1 Peter 2, 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So when our affections are set on things above, and we have these fleshly desires that coming from our heart to react in anger or malice or wrath, how do we correctly respond? The correct response, if we want to have the correct response in this situation, we have to commit our position, our status, our reputation, our good name to God and allow him to judge us righteously. When we try to take the judgment into our own hands, we react in these areas. When we allow God to do it, we leave it in God's hands, our name and our reputation, at any sort of pain and punishment people may bring into our lives. And we allow God to judge us. We leave our judgment open to God. Then we can correctly respond. So why do we get involved in this philic communication? If we know God judges us righteously, if we've turned ourselves over to God, knowing that his judgment is the right judgment, that whatever men may think of us is not the true judgment, as long as we are focused and our affections are set on the Lord and on serving him. Why do we get involved in this communication? Part of it stems from our anger leading to wrath and the malice. Other would be defending our name. But sometimes it might be we are jealous of others. And we think that by demeaning them with our words, we can lift up ourselves. This goes back to even that covetousness that we have. We become covetous of others. We become jealous of others. You know, I think of you know, the bullying that takes place in schools. And this is really how it is. Usually it's the biggest kid who doesn't get the best grades, that picks on the littlest kids they consider to be the smarty pants, right? See that happen a lot. But that moves on into the workplace. It's the same thing as you grow older. It doesn't change. Bullying still takes place. We try to demean others because we're jealous of something they have or their situation or the way they were raised. This communication may appear harmless sometimes. Sometimes we joke about it. We kid about it. And it may appear harmless. But even the one that, pretend, that receives this communication may pretend that it's a joke as well. But our words cut deep, and they last. And they, they eventually well up and become these same things, this anger, this wrath, this malice, in the life of the person who's been hurt. And it's so easy for us to go down that path. Matthew five twenty two. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. God does have serious consequences for this demeaning communication, for these, these words of death that we communicate either with our tongues or with our thumbs. You know, God has consequences for this communication. He says it's almost like you know we should be danger of hellfire for saying these things to others. You know, we've found a lying, something that you know we probably do to some extent. Probably all heard the, the joke or the question, how do you tell if a politician is lying, right? If their lips are moving, right? And, that, and isn't that true so much today? If they're saying something, you know it's not true. And isn't that a sad state to be in that we be- that if we hear a politician talking, we ultimately assume they're not telling the truth. You know, if they put a bill out and they say this is the name of the bill, you assume the opposite of the bill that is being pre- presented, such as this HR1 that was presented, you know, the For the People Act, which was really for one party rule and everybody else doesn't get a chance to say what they want to say and have any vote in the system. <coughs> You know, that, that's the way we are in our, in our world right now, and it's a sad state. We can see the lies that are being spread about the police and law enforcement, okay? We can see the lies being spread about people based on their skin color. It's a sad day when we are basing everybody's in a group, you know, whole makeup of their whole personality based on the color of their skin. You know, we should be moving on from that, and yet we are moving back, we are regressing. We are not progressing, we are regressing. The people that call themselves progressives are regressives. They are regressing us into these past things that we should be moving on from, but yet we have lost the light of the gospel in our nation, which is why we are regressing. That is why lying is so damaging. It causes confusion, it destroys confidence, and it violates the basic policy of communication given to us by God. John 17, 17, Jesus' prayer to God for us was, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The only way we can be sanctified through the word of God is because it is true. The word of God is truth. That's what sanctifies us. His word is truth. When we get apart from that, we lose our groundwork for truth. We lose our foundation of truth. In order to live a sanctified life, it must be a life of truth. The one who authored communication, who spoke the world into existence, the one who divided the languages at the Tower of Babel, the one who wants to hear our prayers and our voices lifted in song to him, requires truth to be an inherent part of our lips, just as it is from his lips. Paul, in addressing Titus, outlines that in order for us to live out godliness, it must be done in truth, according as God fulfills his promises to us, because God cannot lie. Titus 1, 1-2 says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgment Acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. You know, God promised us eternal life before the world began. Before the world began, God promised there was a hope of eternal life given to all mankind before he ever created them. And God cannot lie. What would our confidence be in our salvation if God was known to be a trickster like the mythical Loki? Okay, if, if he was to be like that Norse god Loki, who was always playing tricks on people, what if that was our God? What if that was our God? Would we have any confidence in the Scriptures? Will we have any confidence that our eternal home is secure for us? That is why it's important for us to communicate truth as well in our lives. If we don't communicate truth to our families, how can they believe what we say? If we don't communicate truth at work, how can our boss believe what we say? If we can't communicate truth to others... Is there anything that they can trust that we would say that if we wanted to show them the gospel afterwards, after they've caught us in a bull-faced lie, how can we share the gospel with them? That's why it's important for us to communicate truth. Do we excuse the same untrustworthiness to others, or do we have to constantly apologize for not doing what we said we would do? Do we intentionally lie in order to build up ourselves, or to avoid trouble, or to bring others, you know to the position we want them to be so we can manipulate them? Is that the way we use our words that God has given to us? It shouldn't be. Let's use words of edification, not of words of corruption. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The whole purpose of our speech is to minister grace unto our hearers. This filthy communication, this anger, this wrath, this mouth, that doesn't communicate grace. That communicates death. It doesn't communicate. Grace communicates harsh judgment with no respect for the facts. We need to avoid that sort of communication. If we want to move on and acknowledge that we have risen with Christ, we are setting our affections on things above, we need to move on from this communication so easily affects us. Paul said in verse 8, But now he also put off all these. Have we put off all these things below? Yes, the ones above, maybe we've got to that point where those don't affect us anymore. But have we put off all these, these communicable sins that affect us so easily? Remember, it starts with setting our affections on things above. And as we mentioned last week, and I'll just run through the ten things I mentioned last week, our affections set on things above. First, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who sits in the throne room of God. Holiness, holiness is what makes up God's character. Light, beauty, praise to God. Ordered accomplishment of God's will. The tree of life, eternal life. That is what is in eternity. It's what's in the throne room of God. Purity, no corruption. And those believers who have gone on before us. And then the prayers of the saints. Let's think of those things. Let's our affection on those things. And we can avoid this communication that so leads us astray. And is so damaging to those around us. Let's pray.